Uh, but anyway, it's good to see you this morning. We're glad that you're here with us. And I'm certainly excited to be able to begin a new year uh, in this way and be able to worship on the first day, I think, is a wonderful blessing. But um, anyway, as I, I began to think about what kind of a lesson I wanted to do, uh, I told Marissa about it, and uh, ooh, that went loud. Yeah. <laughs> a bunch of there. <laughs> but anyway. So Marissa. I told Marissa about what I wanted to preach on, and I said, the, the lesson is kind of about me. And she said, why would you do a lesson about yourself? And it's not completely about me, but uh, it does have, uh, it is from my perspective, we'll put it that way. But it's a lesson I think is, is good, and, and I'm excited to be able to preach it. It's entitled, The Man I'd Like to Be. I, I think whenever we look at a new year, one of the things that we do, we tend to look at our lives in a different way. We tend to look at ourselves and think, well, what can I do better? Uh, hence the reason for New Year's resolutions in the first place. But as we look at the different things that we can do to make ourselves better, we reflect on who we are and who we want to become. <coughs> I wonder, do you ever look in the mirror? And in looking in the mirror, do you ever wish that you were someone else, someone different than who you are. Maybe you look at someone in particular and say, well, I would like to, to be that person. And I don't think necessarily that we want to be that person as much as we would like to be like them. Uh, maybe there are different qualities about them. Maybe there's something about their life. Maybe they're rich or, or maybe they seem to have it all. Maybe they have a strong family. I don't think we want to be that person, but we would like to be like them. We still want to be who we are, but at the same time we have a desire to be like someone else. Maybe to be able to stand in their shoes. Maybe there's something about that person that you admire, something in them that you would like to be a part of your life. Now, as we look around us, there are a great many people that we could pattern our lives after. Great men and women that we see in our day and time that we would like to be like. Men and women that have done much good in the world around them. Maybe we wish to do the same. There are many great examples that can be found in the scriptures as well. And that's what I want to focus our lesson on today. When we look at the scriptures, do we see people in the scriptures that we would like to be like for one reason or another? As I share with you the man that I'd like to be, I hope that you'll be encouraged to ponder the man or woman that you also would like to be. <clears throat> I pray that your greatest influences are those that are found in the Bible or in those that are like those found in the Bible. As we look at this lesson today, I'm going to look at some of my greatest influences. I understand that they may not be the same as your greatest influences in the Bible, but these are my greatest influences. And ultimately, I want us to look at the greatest example of all. 
Begin with those that influence the man that I'd like to be. There aren't many people mentioned in the Bible that didn't also have their flaws mentioned along with them. There are many people that we read about that did great things, but maybe we also read that they have done something that was a mistake, and they've said something wrong. We see their flaws. And in reading in literature, if you think of, of maybe your time in school or any books that you may have read recently, when you look at books that are written about heroes, one of the things that you do not find often is their flaws. But as we read in Scripture, when we read of different people, we do see their flaws mentioned. And I think that it helps us to identify with them to some degree. But we must consider that whenever we choose our greatest influences, that yes, they do have their flaws. My greatest influences are determined not because they were perfect, but because they were exemplary individuals. I want to begin by looking at a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham, as we read about him, was a man of great faith. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, or him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. A few years ago in a Bible class, I made the mistake of mentioning that Abraham was old <laughs> when he left his home. And I learned I needed to word that a lot better. But when we look at the age of 75, it's an age that many do not reach. And when they do, it's usually an age of retirement. And we see if, as Abram here is told to leave his home. And here he is, 75 years old. And God is coming to him and says, I want you to leave. I'm not going to tell you where you're going, but I want you to leave. And we read simply in verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Abram, Abraham was a man of great faith. And we find that as a great uh, positive in his character. Abraham exhibited his faith in other instances as well. First of all, it is constant trust in the promises of God. Abraham did trust God on many occasions to lead him, to guide him in the direction he needed to go. He trusted him to keep his promises. And God was faithful to those promises. 
We see that he, he promised him here in Genesis chapter 12 that he would make his descendants great, numerous, and he did. We also see his faith and his willingness to offer his only son as a sacrifice to God in Genesis chapter 22. And we do see that Abraham had his faults. There was a time when he lied. There was a time when he lied about his wife, meaning his sister. And she was his half-sister, but it wasn't the complete truth. Though not without fault, he is a great example of a faithful life and one that we can look up to. Another great example and influence to me is Joseph. One of my favorite classes we did here a few years ago in the teen class. and We did a class on Joseph. We spent several weeks studying his life. And we actually made a graph on the, the whiteboard of his life and all the ups and downs that he had. And he would have an up and then he would have a down. And then he'd have a, an up that went even farther than the other one. But then he'd have a down that went even farther. He went back and forth on many occasions. But Joseph never lost his faith. He continued to serve God. And in one particular instance that I think of, he is a wonderful example of self-control and strength in time of temptation. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 39. I want to look at a few verses here that show Joseph's self-control. In Genesis 39, beginning with verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. As we read a little bit later on in verse 6, and in the latter part of verse 6, it says, Now Joseph was handsome, in form and appearance. Like, that leads us into the next few verses. Verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Verse 10, so it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. In verse 11, but it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work. And none of the men of the house was inside. That she caught him by his garment, saying, 
lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. When Potiphar's wife realized that she held Joseph's garment, she used it to accuse Joseph of trying to seduce her. Joseph was a great example because he never gave in to the constant temptation of one who looked at him with longing eyes. Though he had power and authority in Potiphar's house, he never used it for personal pleasure. He never used it to take what was not rightfully his. And so he's a great example of self-control. And even so, we, we read these events, you know, all the things that Joseph went through. He never gave up on God. And God eventually led him to be a blessing to Egypt. He, he was found by Pharaoh and he, he was promoted to be a man of great authority, even though he was not an Egyptian. He did some great things in his time in Egypt, but he never lost sight of serving God. Turning our attention to the New Testament, there are a couple of men in the New Testament that I want to mention as well. Peter. Peter is a great example. He's an example of courage, which is where my word came from earlier. When we look at Peter, we see that he was very courageous. Now, there were times when his lack of fear got him into trouble. Or maybe he did have some fear, as Brother Kirk mentioned in the Bible class. But when we look at walking on water and how he, he desired to walk on water to Jesus, in Matthew chapter 14, verses 25 through 30, he did so, but he began to sink. His faith diminished, and he was not able to continue. We look at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17 and we see another example where he kind of put his foot in his mouth. Well, let's build a temple for Moses and Elijah and you, Jesus. God said, this is my son, hear him. But his courage also led him to do great things in God's service. There were times when he did speak quickly, but it was in a positive example. Let's look for a moment at the great confession as we often refer to it. In Matthew 16 verses 13 through 16 when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples saying who do men say that I the son of man am? So they said some say John the Baptist some Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was very confident in his answer and rightfully so. He had come to know Jesus. He had come to see him as the Son of God. And so he believed him to be so. On the day of Pentecost, as we read in Acts chapter 2, we see that again Peter was one of the first to speak. After the apostles had been filled with the Holy Spirit, the crowd had marveled at what had happened, and they accused them of being drunk. 
In Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Peter continued speaking. He preached the first gospel sermon there on that day of Pentecost. Paul is another example that I look up to and admire. Paul was an excellent example of encouragement. He wrote more books in the New Testament than any of the other writers. The books written were mostly letters of encouragement to churches and to individuals. He's a great example of encouragement in that way. And you know, Paul even realized that one day he might be looked up to and admired. And he said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. He knew that he would be looked up to. And even so, he said, follow my example, but only so long as I follow Christ. And with anyone, whenever we look at their example and look at the greatness of their character at times, we need to follow them, but only if they follow Christ. And that leads us to our next point. The greatest example of the man I'd like to be. Above all, the greatest influence in my life is Jesus Christ. There are many qualities about him to be admired and emulated. First of all, let's notice his perfection. Jesus was perfect. In all of his life, he remained without sin. Notice what is said in Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, beginning with verse 14. <coughs> Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The temptations that he faced are listed in Matthew chapter 4 and particularly verses 1 through 10. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Verse 5, Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, 
If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Did you notice there that Satan even used Scripture? He quoted Scripture. But Jesus said to him in verse 7, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. In verse 8, again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Tempted by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, he did not sin. Not one bit. He was tempted, yes. And some people equate temptation with sin. That's not the case. See, we can overcome our temptations if we choose to do so. And Jesus did. He chose to do so. And He did overcome His temptations. He did not sin. And though I realize my own imperfections and that I cannot live without failing to resist my temptations from time to time, I still live with the desire to be perfected in Him. I know that His blood cleanses me from my sin. I know that through the cleansing of my sin, I may be properly clothed. Matthew 22, verse 11 through 13. And prepared to enter heaven on the final day of judgment. It's a day I look forward to as a Christian. Let's notice also His compassion. Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There are many instances of Jesus having compassion on people who were lost or in need. I long to possess the compassion that Jesus had on other people. I hope that you do the same. Finally, I want to notice His love. John 15 and verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus did lay down His life. For his friends. And if not for his great love for mankind, we would still be lost and without hope. 
He came to this world as a part of God's perfect plan of salvation. He was born into a humble family, in a humble state. He suffered as he lived and traveled, teaching the message of the gospel. He died for sins that were not his own. All that he ever did was in fulfillment of his Father's will. John chapter 5 and verse 30 says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Luke 22, verses 41 and 42, And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed. And before he was crucified, he prayed this prayer. Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will. Not my will, but yours. Be done. My desire should always be to do my Father's will, not to please myself. That's where a lot of people go wrong in worship and in the way that they serve God. They look more about what they think God would be pleased with or what they themselves would be pleased with than what God has already told us He wants. Yes, my desire should be to do my Father's will. Just as Jesus desired to do the same. There are many other great examples to be found in Scripture. Some not mentioned may or may not be some of your greatest influences. You may have some of your own. Uh, maybe it's Ruth or Esther. Or, or maybe one of the prophets, or maybe looking more into the New Testament, one of the apostles. And, and maybe there are different people that you look to more so than the ones that I've mentioned. Doesn't mean that they're not great examples because I didn't mention them in my lesson. Just because I didn't have enough time. But there are many other greats that are found in Scripture. We should all desire to live godly lives. In Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 14, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. God's grace and love can save us, but it is up to us to live in accordance with his will. We begin by living in obedience to the gospel. There are things that we are taught in Scripture that we need to do to become Christian. Faith. We need faith. And faith should lead us to do the, the rest of what the Scriptures tell us to do. 
need to repent. We need to change our lives. We need to confess that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God before other people, before the congregation, before those that already believe. And if we're able to do that, then we're able to confess Him before those that are lost. And we need to be baptized for the remission of our sin. Acts chapter 2 verse 38 tells us that upon being baptized, upon obeying all the other steps, that we can become Christians. That we can have those sins taken from us. But it begins with obedience. And we continue by living faithful lives of service unto God. See, it doesn't just end at baptism. Really, it's the beginning. It's the beginning of our new walk. It's the beginning of our lives in Christ. And we continue in serving Him. And as we do so, we please Him. I wonder, are your greatest influences leading you to be a faithful child of God? I hope so. You know, it's easy to look at different people and celebrities and those of great power and authority and, and it's easy to look up to them. But are they leading you to be a Christian? Are they Christians themselves? Are your greatest influences Christians? Or those that have lived their lives in service to God? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's Someone like my grandfather was. He was a great influence in my life. Maybe it's your parents or siblings or aunts or uncles or someone of that nature. Maybe it's your best friend that you admire. Is your best friend a Christian? Are your greatest influences leading you in the right direction? Choose your influences carefully. Because they can have a great effect on your eternity. And it may be that that maybe you need to make some changes in your life. And what better time to do it than to start a new year in a new way. Living your life truly for God. I don't know where you stand. I don't know what your relationship with God is. Maybe it's something that you would like to take care of today. Even if you don't feel comfortable coming forward and committing your life to Him or talking to us in that way, come to us after services. We'll be glad to help you whatever way we can. But we always offer an invitation. We offer an invitation because we want to give you the opportunity to come to God, maybe for the first time, or, or maybe to come back to Him. Maybe you need to return to the life you once lived for Him. Maybe you need prayers. But if there's some way that we can help you today, we'll be glad to do it. And we'll give you the opportunity to come if you need to do so. I see how we stand and as we sing. There's a mountain for you.